Hello and welcome to the Feminine Genius Podcast. This is a podcast that celebrates all women of God and their unique genius. I'm your host, Rachel Wong. For this episode of the Feminine Genius Podcast, I had the opportunity to sit down with a woman that I've admired for a very long time. In September of 2019, I got to not only sit down with her one-on-one, but I also got the chance to spend an entire weekend with her at a discernment retreat. And the next two episodes will feature my conversation with Sister Helena Burns of the Daughters of St. Paul. As a media nun, her work in ministry centers around sharing the gospel using whatever means possible, from books to news media to tweets and TikTok videos. And in part one of our conversation, we talk about the mission of the Daughters of St. Paul, how she got called to be a religious sister, and her transition from being a radical feminist to a theology of the body feminist. Dear listeners, I am so, so excited. I'm in the presence of greatness right now. And even though I've spent the entire weekend with her and the other sisters, I'm still in awe and really blessed and excited to have scored some one-on-one time with Sister Helena Burns. Hello. Hi. How are you? Good. Welcome to Toronto. Thank you. Thank you. And I took a quick peek just now. 36.6 thousand followers on Twitter. I remember when I first started following you on Twitter, I was just like, oh man, this is one of the voices that we need right now in Catholic Twitter and just beyond. And I think I was telling you um, during the retreat that when you followed me back, I was in class and I literally screamed. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you so much for just sharing some of your time with me today. Oh, absolutely. I love podcasts. I think they're just this amazing medium now that a lot of young adults follow massively. So let's use it. That's right. Yeah, and I should say too, I I was, like I mentioned, I was privileged to spend the weekend here with the Daughters of St. Paul, and this is the the order that you've been with, and I think maybe to start, for those who maybe are just hearing about the Daughters of St. Paul or aren't familiar with the mission, what is it that the Daughters do? So we were founded back in 1915 in Italy to evangelize with media. It's the only thing we've ever done. Our founder was this amazing media priest who just was so forward-thinking, and he said, you know, the church has to be doing a lot more with media. And think about it, 1915, it was Mm -hmm. mostly the press. Press was king, but film was starting, and radio hadn't been really invented yet. But he said, whatever modern means come up, take them, use them for the gospel. Mm -hmm. He had a vision, too, that the 20th century, the media was going to explode. He died in 1971, so he didn't see digital media or the internet, but he would have loved it. He would have been like a kid in the candy store, <laughs> you know, and it's free, like so much mm-hmm. of it's free to use, so so we, we really need to get out there. I really appreciate the work that the Daughters of St. Paul do. If we could maybe go in a little deeper and if you could introduce yourself and what it is that you do with the Daughters of St. Paul. My name is Sister Helena Raphael. And what we do is we we keep our baptismal name, because that's our first ultimate consecration, and then we add a a second new name for our second consecration of our vows Mm -hmm. and our religious life. So 
I got Raphael because my dad's name is Ralph. My brother's Ralph also. That, that was back in the day when Mother Paula, our foundress in North America, would assign you a name. But you got to pick three. And mm. she would choose from those three. And she loved to name you after your parents, your mom's name or a derivation of your mom's or a grandparent. It was kind of a no-brainer to be Raphael. I am from Boston, from New England originally. And we're very, like, literary people. Education is everything to us, and reading and books and being proficient in grammar and everything. So we correct each other's speech out there. Like, we're, we're weirdos. We're like these little nerds. <laughs> we're just raised that way, right? So for me, when I was uh, felt called to religious life, I was looking at a, every community, like so many communities, that had a correspondence with so many vocation directresses all over, you know, North America, the Lord really started to narrow it down to either Mother Teresa's sisters to do a physical mission to help people physically or the daughters of St. Paul to help people spiritually. So either the corporal works of mercy or the spiritual works of mercy. And I was willing to do anything. I practically fainted the sight of blood, but I told the Lord, I will be a nursing sister if you want me to. I'll take care of old people. I actually looked into the Carmelites of the aged and infirm that my mother just wound up at in rehab after her heart operation. And it was just so beautiful to connect with these amazing women that God did not call me to be. But I was willing to do anything. And then he kind of was whispering to me, why do you think I gave you these gifts of journalism and writing and being proficient with words and being a speaker and loving the arts, loving media? He says, I want you to use those. So sometimes he stretches us and calls us to do something new. Mm -hmm. But he made it very clear, I want you to use the gifts I gave you already. So, And it's okay. That's all right. We don't have to punish ourselves. And sometimes the hard thing is not the thing God wants us to do. Some of us have this idea that, oh, if I want to get married, he must want me to be a sister. It's like, no, where do you think that desire came from? If you put it on your heart since you're two years old to be married and be a wife and be a mom, that's probably your vocation. Like, discern it, but it's probably, you mm -hmm. know, what he wants you to do. So, anyway, I finally narrowed it down, enter the Daughters of St. Paul. And again, there's always like these very specific things that happened along mm -hmm. the way, these little things that happened to make it happen and remove all doubt from your mind eventually to enter the Daughters. So, and I fell in love with our founder. If you go to MediaApostle.com, you can read a little bit more about him. Mm -hmm. This very modern priest who was not afraid of technology, who was not afraid of the future. Mm -hmm. And... I, quote-unquote, met him when I was 15 is when I found out about him. And he was only a servant of God at that yeah. point. So the, the way you become a saint is servant of God, venerable, blessed, and then saint. But, oh man, I just love this guy. And then the more I learned about him and his spirit and his vision and strategy and media spirituality, I knew I was in the right place. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, do you want me to speak even more personally about my personal journey or yeah I would love to if you don't mind sharing no, your faith all. journey not at yeah. all. so I didn't really believe in God till I was 15 I probably had the faith of a child but not really I was always a very cynical little child and questioned everything more than anything my God was creation I loved nature to me it was the most beautiful innocent thing I'd ever seen and everybody knew my path was animals taking care of nature, conservation, ecology. I wanted to do something with the environment, but mm -hmm. more specifically animals. And it kind of narrowed down to birds. I love like birds of prey, big birds, waterfowl, <laughs> all kinds of birds. I even took a seminar in ornithology from Cornell University when I was like 14. Wow. 
that was before the internet, so it was like a mail. They we called them um, mail courses. Oh my goodness! You would, you would do things, but it was a high level. But I, I loved it so much, and I got my bird biology certificate from oh, Cornell University. And I'm very so proud. Awesome. That was my dream school because they have a big bird sanctuary. <laughs> and then God zapped me. You know, first of all, I had to believe in Him. <laughs> so I was really questioning as a teenager. I was existentially depressed. Like it wasn't a chemical depression. It wasn't your typical teenage depression. It was existential depression that a lot of people come to later in life, not when they're, you know, 15. But again, we were like little philosophical weirdos in Massachusetts. Mm. My weird, shout out to my weirdo state. (laughs) So I was really searching and I did kind of believe there was an answer to be found. Unlike today where we hamstring our young people and we tell them there is no truth to be found. Mm. It's just your subjective truth and your subjective feeling. But it was still back in the day when people believed the truth was out there. And you could find it if you searched hard enough. I suppose on one level I had some hope that I could find something. But I really believe our young people today are suffering massively from existential depression. They don't know why they're alive. Nobody tells them the purpose of life. And if you don't know God, then life is absurd. We're just higher apes maybe. Mm -hmm. And we're just going to die and all our hopes and dreams will be extinguished. So why bother? So we have this huge outbreak of suicide today at all age levels, and nobody seems to know, oh, we need more therapists, we need more drugs, we need more counselors, we need God, okay? Mm. We need God, all right? amen. There's a big ultimate reality that human beings were created for, and we're able to know, of all creation, we can know more. Mm. We can know God. We have a God consciousness. That was where I was at at age 15. I was dragged to Mass by my parents. I would do the protest thing. I would fold my arms and stand there and not say any of the prayers. And my mm-hmm. mother would be like, why aren't you praying the prayers? And I'm like, I don't know what they mean. And I don't know if I believe them. I'm going to say, I believe in blah, blah, blah. <laughs> like, if I don't know what the heck this means, and I don't believe, because I don't, you know. And again, the catechesis was so poor. I was ready to sink my teeth into some philosophy. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of our high schoolers are ready for that. But we talk baby talk when it comes to religion. You know, they're in AP, honors, chemistry, trig, calculus. They're planning their futures and everything. And we talk baby talk when it comes to religion. And we should be introducing them to the Catholic intellectual tradition. Not just social justice, which is important. Mm -hmm. That's our lived faith. But everything else that comes with that. Christology, ecclesiology, Mm -hmm. uh, systematic theology, dogmatic theology, Mariology. So I was at this point where I was depressed, and I would come home from school, mm-hmm. wouldn't do my homework because I could do it on the bus the next morning, and I would go to sleep. Sleep was my drug of choice, mm-hmm. and my mother was so worried. She was reading up about teen suicide, and I wanted to. Like, I, I wanted to end it all. I didn't want anything painful. I wanted pills. I just wanted to go away. Like, mm-hmm. And I wouldn't have left a suicide note because I had nothing to say. It was like, mm-hmm. it wasn't, I, was, I wanted attention. I was trying to be dramatic. That was the way I approached it. So that went on for several months. And I lost interest in my friends in every little by little. I was losing interest in everything because Mm -hmm. it's kind of like, well, it's just going to come to an end. Like I'm very practical and I'm future oriented. And I'm like, I was looking at the end of the game. What's the end game here? You know, there no, there is no end game. It seemed. And my vocation story is very depressing. Some people can't like come back out of the depression part of it. And like, they're so sad, but this is not sad. Look at, I'm alive today. I am full of hope. I have meaning in my life. I know the Lord, right? So what happened? I believed in a creator force. Creation, it made sense. Pure atheism made no sense to me because no one explains where everything came from. Origin of species, Darwin did not answer the question. He didn't answer where everything came from. God is the origin of species. So I believed in this creator force who was behind this beautiful creation that I 
almost worshipped practically, you know. Mm -hmm. And I never prayed because I thought that was cheesy. Just because you pray, you get what you ask for. That's so stupid. <laughs> so, like, I thought, but maybe this creator force could hear prayers. I didn't believe this creative force was personal, but I thought maybe I was wrong about that. Mm. So I said this prayer. I said, dear God, if you exist, please tell me why I'm alive because I don't know. And I don't want to go on living with no reason to live beyond the little reasons I cook up. Like right. that's not big enough for me. I'm not satisfied with just pleasing myself. I knelt by my bed and I prayed that prayer. It wasn't Jesus. It wasn't the Trinity. I didn't really believe in any of that. So it was just that God force. Mm -hmm. I woke up the next morning with a completely different life, literally overnight, and I, I could feel God's presence. Mm -hmm. A lot of my questions were answered without anyone telling me. I knew heaven was real. Death was not the end. It didn't really matter exactly what I did with my life, like being some great success, making a lot of money, mm -hmm. or even making my mark on the world. Like That was not what was important. What was important was my relationship with God, mm -hmm. that he was more excited about me going to heaven someday I don't get to choose when, <laughs> than me going to heaven. Like, he's yeah. waiting. It's like the father mm -hmm. of the prodigal son, right? He's waiting, waiting, waiting. Mm -hmm. But he's also with me here and now. I can feel his presence. He's with me. And so my life just completely changed. I was interested again in all the stuff I, I loved, but it was different. It came back to me in a different way. Mm -hmm. It wasn't the ultimate anymore. Four days later, God called me to be a nun. Wow. And I didn't really know what that meant. Like, it was like, be a nun. It was like, you know, not an outside of my head voice, but it was a sentence. It was audible inside my head. And I was like, okay, Lord, yay. I don't know what that means, but something about being all yours and dedicating my life to service and helping people, which was something I wanted. I had to make the shift, though, from helping animals to helping people. That was mm. a hard shift for me, mm. believe it or not, because I really believe animals are more important than people. Oh, yeah, because yeah. animals don't pollute. Animals don't sin. They don't torture each other and hurt each other for and start wars, except the chimps. Um, <laughs> and I saw people were the problem, right? They were mm -hmm. the only people I liked were indigenous peoples because they respected the earth. Those are the only people I thought were worth anything. So I had to like shift a bit to actually human beings. Yeah, they're full of sin and they do terrible things, but they are made in the image of God and they mm. need help to not do these bad things, right? Mm -hmm. If you can help humans, then they will stop trashing the earth, for example, <laughs> you know, if they have the right perspective. Right. My aunt said to me, you went from saving seals to saving souls. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I had this infusion of hope, purpose, truth, reality, but in the divine order, there's the divine order that God has given us. And we never talk about this, right? We, we think we make up our own order. We don't know how to order things. We should be able to take a clue from science and the order in nature and biology and everything. And we do. We have this understanding of that, even though we manipulate it in ways that we shouldn't. But some people have respect. They don't want to manipulate nature, but they'll manipulate human beings. Hmm. They'll manipulate our human bodies. And it's like, no, 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 no. Medicine, all of these things should be to restore the divine order in the human body, in the human mind. Science should be at the service of this beautiful divine order. Do we know better than the guy who made it all, than the creator? No, we don't. But there's also a divine order in society, in the family, in the moral order, right? Mm -hmm. And it's beautiful. It's not a set of rules and regulations and some chain and some burden. We have this beautiful divine order that we can see pretty much everywhere. And, of course, we need extra help, so we have the Bible. We have mm -hmm. the church. 
But creation itself, we can read a lot into that. Beauty can only emerge in order. So why do we go out in nature and we're just stunned by the Canadian Rockies or something? Because there's an order there everywhere from the plant life to the temperatures to the seasons, right? Mm -hmm. And that creates beauty. And so today, if we don't know what the order is, beauty can't emerge. Mm -hmm. True beauty, you know, in its fullness can't emerge. So you need to also know that at this time, I was a radical feminist. What do I mean by that? This is the Feminine Genius Podcast, so we we should talk about That's fe- right. true femininity and all of that. Um, so feminism, in its most basic, is good. I define it as simply the protection and promotion of women. And we're always going to need some form of that. What you think a woman is and what is her good protection and promotion is going to be different for everyone. That's why we have all these different forms of feminism. Radical feminism denies any significant differences between men and women. That's what I was. And that's false because we are learning more and more how just how different men and women are. Just our bodies, for example, the parts that we share, eyes, hearts, livers, bones, very, very different. Men's mm. eyes are wired differently than women's. They have more of a certain cell. I always mix them up. There's a P cell and a C cell in the eye. Mm. Men have more of the cell that tracks moving objects at a distance, kind of like hunters would, um, or hockey pucks. <laughs> Women have more of the cell where we are aware of our peripheral right around us. And doesn't this make sense? In the imminent love, women image God's imminent love, and men image God's transcendent love. Mm. Transcendence is going out of oneself to work on the world to make it a better place, going far out of oneself. Imminence is drawing the world to oneself to make it a better place. They're both forms of love that exist in God, but we reflect different parts of God, different aspects of God. And again, I think we women need to unpack that a lot because for men, it's, it's a no-brainer, right? God has revealed himself as the masculine principle. God in his divinity is beyond gender. He's neither male nor female. But in his humanity and in the way he relates and has revealed himself to us, it's the masculine principle. Father, son, Jesus in his humanity is masculine and he still is in his risen body. We have to understand what does that mean? Does it mean men are a little more divine than women? No, they're not. (laughs) We are equal in our humanity, right? But it's calling men to imitate Jesus in a very specific way in their masculinity and to imitate God the Father and to relate to God as a father, etc. How do we know this beyond just theologizing or theology? Our bodies. Mm-hmm. The body, we can't see our souls, so we ha- the first clue is our body. What is the female body saying about how a woman is called to love? Mm. And not just called to love, how she loves, how she just operates. And what is the male body saying about how a man is called to love? So men's sexuality is external to their bodies. Transcendence, right? Going out. The man in the mm. act of love, bodily and spiritually, he goes out. He's the one that proposes, right? He's the one that invites on the date and all of that. Women's sexuality is internal to their bodies. That's what makes women mysterious. Part of what makes, even to ourselves, right? We can't even see what's going on inside there, <laughs> right? <laughs> Imminent love means the baby is inside you. This is God, Emmanuel, right? Mm-hmm. God with us. He's right here, right now, surrounding us. Mm-hmm. It's not weak. See, we tend to think, the radical feminists think one is weakness, 
that the way a woman loves that oh that's weakness the way her body is makes her weak because mm. she's vulnerable a nine-month pregnant woman is very vulnerable right she yeah. can't run a you know marathon and if no this is strength she is giving life out of her body are you kidding me mm-hmm. or this one comedian says he's like ladies you make all the people like <laughs> they all come out of you yeah so you know and then we breastfeed and all of that so big mistake that the radical feminists like myself made is we thought there was only one generic way to be human. We disregarded the body. The body's not important. Mm-hmm. The body has nothing to say to me about who I am. Hmm. And we thought for some reason, like, to be a woman is second best. So we decided that there was one generic way to be human, but very sadly we adopted the male paradigm okay. as the one way to be human. Didn't even realize what we were doing. We were anti-feminists. We were obliterating the feminine, the true feminine. Mm-hmm and tried to follow a non-existent generic human paradigm that doesn't exist. And we wound up trying to be men. We even said things like, I can be as good as a man. That is a false admission of inferiority. Hmm. You want to be as good as a man because you're not. That implies that you're not as good as a man. And you have to take on male ways of thinking and behaving Mm -hmm. to be as good as. Do you hear men saying, I can be as good as a woman? No, we don't. (laughs) So I had a whole journey to make from radical feminism, which it's a scary journey because you feel powerful. You think you're powerful as a radical feminist, but you're actually working against your own nature. Mm-hmm. And the ancients define happiness as living in accord with one's nature. So if you're always fighting your nature, you are never going to be happy. Right. You are never going to be at peace. And it feels like when you get out of radical feminism, at first it feels like you're giving something up. So it's not about pretending. It's not about trying to return to some idyllic era that never existed for women or for men. We're moving forward. And theology of the body is the way. That outlines the way for us because we return to the body. It's a coming home to the bodies, the bodies that we are. We don't have a body. We're not living in this shell. We're not the ghost in the machine operating this body that I don't like. Mm -hmm. So the first thing we have to do is get comfortable. Men have to get comfortable with their bodies. Women have to get comfortable with their bodies. And own it. Love your body. As John Paul II says, we have the lion's share of the sexuality. We pay more for our sexuality because we get pregnant, because we have monthly cycles, because we breastfeed. But is that a burden or a privilege? Or is it a little bit of both at different times? Right. Even though I am never going to be pregnant and bear physical life, I'm a spiritual mother, but I've had plenty of female problems, trust me, <laughs> physical ailments and problems. Mm-hmm. And yet... If that's what it takes to give life, so be it, right? You know, mm-hmm. And also, as Christians, we believe in redemptive suffering. So mm-hmm. we don't look for suffering, but suffering comes everybody's way. And you can offer it up, and it can be very redemptive. So my journey through radical feminism, it's really odd because it's the only framework I had from when I was very small. My parents were very faithful Catholics, but they didn't talk about the faith at home. I went to public schools K through 8, mm-hmm. and I was pretty much fully formed. I went to Catholic high school uh, as a teenager, but I already had my convictions by then. So Mm -hmm. nothing really changed too much Mm -hmm. in high school for my mentality. And I was being taught by the world, by the media and advertising and the powerful cultural movements when I was growing up. So that was where I, I fed myself. And even when God called me four days later... After meeting God, I didn't see myself as a handmaid of the Lord or he was proposing to me to be a bride of Christ. It was just a generic servant. 
being called to serve God and people. That's it. And so my understanding of Jesus as my lover and my spouse, that came much later. I think I wanted it. I really wanted it underneath it all, but that was not being spoken of even too much. So I entered the convent with my radical feminist framework inside, and I knew I had to shut up because I chose a traditional faithful Orthodox order because it was this weird dichotomy of I knew the Catholic Church was right, but I didn't know why. I had thought the Catholic Church oppressed women. And I was planning to leave the Catholic Church and, and faith in God in general, you know. Mm-hmm. But I knew the church was right because Jesus spoke to me from the Blessed Sacrament. So I was like, dang, this is his church. Mm-hmm. And this church is right about stuff, but I don't know why. And I studied and read and asked questions and searched for years and years and years within the convent, unbeknownst to my sisters because I didn't want to freak them out, cause them to question or whatever. So... And it wasn't until I I learned theology of the body that everything made sense. Mm. And there was so many stepping stones along the way. And one of them was I went to a theology of the body seminar where a priest artist who's from the Eastern Church, he's Byzantine, drew the female body. He was drawing circles. And he said, what is this? And we couldn't tell what it was at first. And all of a sudden, a woman's body emerges. And he said, the design and purpose of something tells you what it is and what it does best. Mm. And then he drew more angular lines and then a male body emerged from that. And he said, what is it? This is a male body. The design and purpose of something tells you what it is mm-hmm. and what it does best, what it's made for. And it was like so pathetically simple. And I said, dang it, I believe in, I, I was the nature child, right? Mm-hmm. And our bodies are part of creation. So, mm-hmm. And they all have their purpose and design. When you live in harmony with them, they do amazing things. When you fight them, you hurt them. And mm-hmm. they can't live up to their full potential. So it was like all these lights went on like, duh, of course I should be living in harmony with my body, not ignoring my body. I really got into the resurrection of the body too. So we are getting our bodies back. What? Yes, these very bodies, they'll be glorified. But this is me. I'm not getting something new, a new body that God's going to create for me in eternity. Mm -hmm. I'm getting Helena's body back. All my ailments will be fixed up, and it will be glorified and immortal, no longer able to die. But all my life I had kind of swept the resurrection of the body under the rug because Mm -hmm. I didn't like my body. I didn't like being a woman because it seemed like it was second best. Why do we have to bear children? Why do we have to have the cramps every month and like this whole idea of our faith too, the resurrection of the body. Like this is me. I don't have a body. I am a body. My body is me. It's not an appendage or less me than my soul. Hmm. My body and my soul are me. And wow, that took like years of meditating on that Mm -hmm. and, and having to accept it and then loving it, loving that fact So if you want to be a strong woman and you want to be body positive, rejecting your body is not the way to go. (laughs) Trust me, you know? And when we say femininity, I think the first thing that pops into people's heads is tool, T-O-U-L-E, you know, like, like we're super frilly, foofy clothing, long nails and like all the, you know, accessories. Mm -hmm. And that's not what it means. So femininity simply means all that makes up being a woman. Everything that differentiates a woman from a man, too, physical and spiritual, Mm -hmm. we get our identity in God as well. So all the beautiful gifts 
feminine gifts that God has given us. Some of them are peculiarly feminine. Others would be how a woman expresses something that men also possess. For example, the virtue of empathy. Mm-hmm. Women tend to empathize more than men do. Um, why? Because we personalize things. We are more subjective. We are more about subjective truth, which is just as important as objective truth. Men tend to be more objective and about objective truth. Women introduce the personal into everything. They always want to know how is this policy going to affect women, children, families, mm-hmm. whereas it's not just about the bottom line. Women are whistleblowers. We, we see this every day, right? They're not going to go along with the brotherhood and the code of silence and the buddy cover up. They're like, this isn't right, and they blow the whistle, right? We're so trained to think of women's gifts as lesser mm-hmm. or like more flawed, Subjective truth is very important. And we don't just mean my opinion, my likes, my feelings. When we say subjective, we mean the subject as a subject in a sentence, mm-hmm. which is the person, the acting person. Ah. And so John Paul II said, we have to have the objective and subjective working together all the time. Mm-hmm. This is called the law of the gift. So if you just go objective, let's eliminate the poor. Let's kill them off because they're, they're a drain on the economy. That is like a warped totally objective truth without the subjective truth. Subjective truth without the objective truth just goes into feelings, just devolves into, I can't hear any opinion or any idea that differs from my own because it makes me uncomfortable, Hmm. right? That is subjectivity without objectivity. People should be be whatever they think they are. I think I'm a a toad, so I will have a tattoo of toad spots on my face because I think I'm a toad. That's complete subjectivity without objectivity. No, you're not a toad. Mm -hmm. Um, You're a human being. It's verifiable, right? That's what we're seeing today, these two extremes of the objective divorced Mm -hmm. from the subjective, the masculine divorced from the feminine. And we have to bring them back together and be working with both. So, again, like, I will go on and on (laughs) about these things because it's personal to me. It's a personal journey I had to make. And I come from the other side. So here I am, you know, dressed in a full habit, and I go Mm -hmm. and I speak. And I have to let people know, like, I'm not just some good little Catholic girl who is trying to, like, teach you church teaching and make you believe. And I don't want you to leave the church, and I want you to be a good (laughs) submissive woman or something. Like, no, 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 I come from the other side. But I'm also very vigilant to make sure that women aren't going back to being oppressed and taken advantage of and Mm -hmm. taken for granted and kept down and all of that. So we're not talking about glass ceilings for women. We're not talking about stereotypes for women. We're just talking about being what you are as Mm -hmm. a woman. Live it to the full. I love what you're talking about when it comes to, at its core, we need to come back to who we are and our identity in God because he has given us these beautiful gifts. He's given us these natural bodies. Just being able to appreciate that it will bring so much happiness because like you were saying earlier, when we are able to go along with our nature, it won't frustrate us as much. And I want to tie this into the fact that you do a lot of work online. I remember when I first came across the Daughters of St. Paul, I was so struck by how active they were and I was just like you know totally ignorant me I didn't know they had internet in the convent but especially in this time right now we have a lot of whether it is oppression of women a lot of confusion around 
what true femininity or feminism is, a lot of discussion around gender identity and gender expression. As much as sometimes our social media can be practiced in a vacuum because we follow the people that we want to follow, but I'm sure that you also come across a lot of different things on social media and your apostolate as well. And I was wondering if you could speak to some of the, the differences that you can brush up against and how it is that you continue to live out your faith and practice right. your evangelization. So I have such a heart for people who are confused, gender confused. Today we have indoctrination to make people doubt their gender. The separating of sex and gender, which aren't separated, they're the same thing. Sex equals gender, gender equals sex. If you're a man, you're a man, body and soul. If you're a woman, you're a woman, body and soul. Mm -hmm. But we are indoctrinating little tiny children who are having a really hard time just figuring out what the heck is real. What if we told a child a squirrel was a cow? What if every time they pointed at something, we deceived them and gave them the wrong answer? That could really mess a child up, right? Mm -hmm. Partly, I think God just put it on my heart. And, and I know some people who have transitioned. I know people who have detransitioned. I've heard their experiences. And they, too, are warriors out there trying to stop other people from doing what they did. And I think what's happening, too, is gender transitioning and transgender is being offered to people as a solution for whatever problem they have. It's kind of like you had a problem, you had a trauma, you had a terrible experience or many terrible experiences or a life of terrible experiences in that body. If you change your body up, you can leave the pain behind. Mm -hmm. But of course we know that's not true because you are you and your soul comes with you, whatever you do to the body. And they have discovered this. No, I didn't leave the pain behind. I'm mm -hmm. still in pain because I'm me and just a body change, which you can't really change your sex. Sex is on so many levels. We have the female brain and the male brain. And, oh, that's supposed to be controversial, but it's not. The science is there. We have the chromosomes. We have so many levels of our sexuality. There's so many levels that we are male or female on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's very sad that we would go after the image of God with knives and scalpels and doing these incredibly invasive things to the human body, which makes them, by the way, like puberty-blocking hormones, makes you infertile. Can an 8-year-old decide they never want to be a parent? Hmm. that's not coming from the child. That's coming from suggestions by adults until the child actually says something. Yeah, I want to be a boy. Because you, you told the child that that would be good for them or you, you made them doubt themselves. So this is child abuse, right? Hmm. On, on the child level and, and teen level. I mean, what did you know when you were 13? All the negative and downside of all of this stuff, we will not hear. You You have to dig for that because... There's a mm -hmm. narrative, right? And the detransitioners don't fit into the narrative, so they are ostracized, and people try to shut them up because they're not supposed to exist. Mm -hmm. Transitioning is supposed to make you happy and fulfilled and all of that. So, yeah, there's again, there's another story we need to hear. A lot of people did not, did not know what transgender was 10 years ago, mm -hmm. and now, like, everybody's transgender? How, how did that happen? That was a planned thing. That was a, a global movement with talking points, and it came out of academia, gender theory. Judith Butler was mm -hmm. one of the premier gender theorists who codified. I mean, you have to hand it to them. Boy, they did a great job of, like, the talking points, changing the laws, changing the education, mm -hmm. getting the mm -hmm. media on board, getting the news on board, changing dictionaries. Judith Butler is now the head of the MLA, the Modern Language Association, which filters all the policies down. And it's one of the most effective and active organizations of higher education. And she is now the head of the MLA. So, wow, what's going to happen to language now, right? Mm -hmm. So 
we want to do what's in the best interest of the person. And the data is there is not in the best interest of the person. What do they need? They need therapy. They need counseling. They need to learn to love themselves, not hate themselves. It's self-loathing, right? Mm-hmm. But, oh, we, we're not supposed to say that. I'll say it. <laughs> Sorry, you can put me in prison. I'm serious. Like, this, mm-hmm. is, this is something I'm willing to go to prison over because this is so fundamental, telling people they're not who they are, telling mm-hmm. people to hate themselves. Or if they have self-hatred, to turn that around to self-love. Why aren't we doing that? We're like, no, it's good to hate yourself. Get rid of yourself. Carve your body up. Mm-hmm. Take these powerful hormones. But I get it. I mean, I get it. And I have so many people who come to me who are in their 40s, 50s, and 60s who said, you know, especially women, this like, you know, I was kind of butch when I was young. Yeah. And some of them still are. <laughs> but they got married to a guy, right? Mm-hmm. And um, But they're like, I know that if I was growing up today, I would transition. I would think I had to transition. Mm. Um, or, or one lady said, you know, and she's a doctor today. She says, I was like real scientific into science. She joined the Navy. She, um, she wears men's clothes because she likes them better. She cuts her hair short. She doesn't care about makeup and jewelry. And, and again, that's not what makes you a woman. Mm-hmm. But she always felt a little odd. Actually, society had room for her. And at that time, she was allowed to be a doctor. It wasn't like, you know, the 1700s or something. Mm-hmm. But she says, I know. I would have doubted myself. I w- they would have made me doubt myself. And I would have thought that's the way I had to go. Mm-hmm. And I know another gal who's like super frou-frou, but she's a radical feminist. And coming to my theology, she's one of my groupies, my theology of the body groupies, especially <laughs> when I do women's stuff. Yeah. And she told me she's no longer a radical feminist. She's like, mm-hmm. she's made the journey. It took her about like two years. But she said, I was thinking of transitioning because men have an advantage. It's a man's world, right? And no matter how much women fight and try, the men just, you can't change their attitudes. You mm-hmm. can't legislate attitudes. So she's like, I will have an advantage by being a man. And if I have a hysterectomy, I won't have any more of my like endometriosis problems mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. cramps or whatever the heck. She says, but you made me you know, love my body. Be patient with yourself. It's a process. It's, mm-hmm. It takes time. You don't get there overnight because we have to undo things that I just breathed in. I'm not a young adult, right? Mm-hmm. So this stuff has just been snowballing, and I breathed in all this stuff, and I... I didn't question. It was kind of unquestioning. So even though I knew I was a radical feminist, there Mm -hmm. were some things in my internal structure of radical feminism Mm -hmm. I didn't even know was part of the radical feminism. It was just, for me, it was bedrock truth. Mm -hmm. It was what I was living out and basing my life on. And the more theology of the body healed that and revealed the truth and spoke the truth into that, Mm -hmm. I was like, oh my gosh, that's part of my radical feminism. Like, I need to get rid of that. So I don't consider myself necessarily a feminist today except that I do want to promote and protect women. But if I am a feminist, I'm a theology of the body feminist. So you know what I believe. I believe in the complementarity of the sexes. We are called to help and love each other, and it is possible. Mm -hmm. Respect, 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 respect. So I think a lot of women have given up on men. They think that men just are beyond hope and help, and we can't do that. Guys have their own problems and their own issues within their own sex, right? Mm -hmm. But nobody's forming them to respect women. Nobody's forming them to be these servant leaders or lay down their life for their beloved as Jesus did. He laid down his life for his spouse, the church. That's how a man is called to love, to lay down his life for his wife, for the church, for society. Men are called to be self-sacrificial in a very special way. Women too. It's automatic for women. (laughs) Our self-sacrifice. And I don't mean that women are the ones that always have to like take up the slack. 
It's just our bodies that automatically make us self-sacrificial that way. Because men can have it easy, right? Mm-hmm. If, if they choose that path. The fact that men are physically stronger than women most of the time, what is that saying to a man? That he should use that to abuse women and oppress women? That he's superior? No. Because women are emotionally stronger than men. <laughs> Does that make women superior to men? No. It makes them different. Yeah. We're supposed to put these strengths together and help each other. So what does that say to a man? His body is stronger. Well, it t- talks about the kind of work he can do, but what's work for? It's not just to make money and have a spend it on myself. It's to contribute to society. It's mm. to protect women and children with my strength, right, from predators and bad people and stuff. This doesn't make women weak. We can get a gun. We can learn karate. We can learn <laughs> self-defense. If we can see that somebody's good at X, Y, and Z, why not let them do that? Why not put our gifts at the service of the other who doesn't have that gift? And then we wind up really helping each other. The Business Insider magazine did a marriage study, and it's not communication that, you know, makes a marriage great or lasting, but respect, just the basic human respect. Sometimes people stop saying thank you and please to each other because we take each other for granted. Mm -hmm. I've seen families like that where everybody's kind of rude to each other because, like, oh, it's just my kid. Oh, it's just my mom. It's like, no, these are still individuals who can't even externalize all of their problems and how they're feeling today. If you just have, you know, respect, I'm putting something in the microwave. Would you like one? Mm-hmm. Not like everybody fending for themselves and in a home or whatever. Right. I just thought that was so, this is totally secular, right? Respect. Yeah. And I've seen that. I've seen that in marriages that are just so beautiful and you just admire so much where there's this delicacy mm-hmm. of the husband to the wife, the wife to the husband, the children, you know. So we can do this, people. We can, and I'm not talking about going backwards. It's about going forwards. Have we lost some stuff in the past? Then let's go back and get the baby, not the bathwater. Mm. You know, if we, <laughs> we don't want the bathwater. So if we let, but that doesn't mean we're going to live it the way it was lived in 1942. Yes. We want to live that in a contemporary way. Mm-hmm. And again, women have gained a lot of things through the women's movement. FYI, women's movement is not the same as women's lib. Women's Mm -hmm. movement came first, and the women's lib was the radicalization of the women's movement. The women's movement started in the late 50s, early 60s, was about equal pay, job opportunities, sexual harassment laws, child care, like for working women, like Mm -hmm. how is that going to work out, in the place of business so the women can see their children, etc., etc. And it got radicalized with contraception, abortion, women becoming men, And the thing was, for me, as a radical feminist, I didn't hate men. I wasn't a man-hater, which we see a lot of that, right? Women, like, almost hate men, or they do hate men. I couldn't be a hater because I was too, like, hippie-ish, like, too boho. (laughs) Like, it was like, oh, that's that's ugly. Hating is ugly. Don't be a hater. But I wanted to hate them, you know, because I was blaming men. God opened my eyes to the beauty of masculinity, all the things that make men men, and that men just kind of naturally do. They naturally fall into certain things and ways of behaving. And I wrote men off. Not why I became a nun. <laughs> but I had just written men off of, like, they all want the same thing. They just want one thing. They don't really respect women underneath it all. They think they're superior. They hate us, and they want to hurt us. They just want to mm. use us. Mm-hmm. So, and it's funny. I had some good men in my life, but I was like, oh, they're so rare. Like, they're the exception. But I really believe that on the male end of things, they need mentors, male mentors. They need to be trained to chivalry and not to be fake gentlemen. So women get turned off by chivalry because they think they don't need or they don't want that little extra attention. Or when a man holds open a door, it is it should be out of respect 
for a woman because women are mothers and they go through a lot to be moms. Mm-hmm. So every everyone has come from a woman's body. So it's kind of like this appreciation. And we do things for guys, like find their keys. And <laughs> we do respectful things for them that is different. So mm-hmm. we have equal dignity, but we're not identical in who we are and how we are. And that's okay. It doesn't mean one is inferior. That's Marxism. Right? Yes. So we've adopted this Marxist idea that if something is different from something else, one is superior or it's going to act superior. And then we have this class struggle, yep. mm-hmm. this gender struggle, which is just such a lie because mm-hmm. it doesn't work in Marxism if you try to like make everybody the same when they're not. Mm-hmm. Deny. If, if we're going to celebrate diversity, there has to be a difference to celebrate. Yes. And it does not mean things can be different but equal. Things can be different and unequal. An ant is not the same as an elephant, right? We probably have no problem stepping on an ant, but we would never, like, (laughs) go kill an elephant, right? Right. So there is a hierarchy of values there. But in our humanity, we are completely equal in dignity, but we're not identical. We have different, we're outfitted for different tasks. Mm -hmm. We're better at different things. Women have different ways of problem solving. Mm -hmm. And it hasn't been accepted, right? So women have to keep putting the feminine out there in the public square, in the workplace, in society, and demand that it be accepted, that our ways of thinking and doing things are legitimate Mm -hmm. and sometimes need to be adopted and not just, oh, we have to do things the man's way. So when I think when women first got out into the workplace big time and moved up the corporate ladder or whatever, they realized that their voice was not going to be heard. So they're like, I can play this game. I can think like a man. I can do it the man's way. Mm -hmm. But at some point, we just got lost ourselves in just doing it the guy's way. And at a certain point, we thought we wanted that. And we adopted, internally adopted men's ways of thinking. So when I had suppressed all my feminine ways of thinking, because I was taught by men Mm -hmm. and the society and radical feminists that to be emotive was weakness Mm -hmm. or it was silly or foolish and I didn't want any of that I wanted to be strong and successful so when I started to realize that women are different I had adopted so many male ways of thinking and doing things that I had to like really allow those things to bubble up they were there but I would always squelch them I would push them down Mm -hmm. and like I said some things are just me like I have a philosophical mindset I tend to think objectively I don't personalize things I keep things very impersonal mm-hmm. and that's okay that doesn't make me less of a woman it's just who I am mm-hmm. and I like being that way like I enjoy having these gifts that make me more objective and, right. and whatnot but women's intuition is real we have this sensitivity to persons and we can control that just because we're sensitive to people and we can pick up on how people are feeling more than men do that is beautiful But it should be in in our control, not compulsive. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of times, and that was the complaint, like how women were treated like, oh, it's always going to be a woman who does the the little servant tasks. We shouldn't feel obliged or feel like that's a woman's role or whatever. Mm -hmm. It should, because if we're going to do something in love, it has to be a free gift. Mm -hmm. We have to realize that I have other gifts too, not just the little menial tasks, the mundane, you know, everyday tasks that I can do, like cooking and cleaning and whatever. I have other bigger gifts too that I want to use. So I make a choice. A big thank you to Sister Helena Burns for sitting down with me for the podcast. This is not the end of our conversation, and in fact, it's only halfway. So please tune in next week to hear the rest of it. 
But for now, if you want to learn more about Sister Helena Burns, you can follow her on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can also check out her blog, hellburns.com. How cool is that? If you're interested in learning more about the Daughters of St. Paul, you can check out their website, pauline.org. All of this can be found in the show notes. As always, thank you so much for listening to the show. You can listen to and download The Feminine Genius on your podcasting platform of choice. And if you love what you're hearing, I would love it if you left a review on Apple Podcasts as it helps others to find the show. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search up at FemGeniusPod. And to see the show notes for this week and other weeks, as well as other exciting news and events, you can check us out on our website, FeminineGeniusPodcast.com. Talk to you next time, and God bless always.